Welcome to Ignite Visibility University Interview Edition, where we learn from the top marketers in the world, what drives them, their mistakes, their wins, and secrets to success. This podcast is brought to you by Ignite Visibility, one of the top digital marketing agencies in the nation. Okay, everybody, welcome to Ignite Visibility University. Today, I have Jessica Jensen, who's Global Director of Marketing at Qualcomm. Really excited to have her here today. So Jessica has 18 years of experience driving business growth through digitally-led integrated marketing campaigns. What's really exciting is she's worked inside of four Fortune 500 companies, Nestle, Adidas, Microsoft, managing multi-million dollar marketing budgets. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. I want to get to know kind of what goes into, you know, these big programs and just hear, hear more about Jessica in general. So Jessica, welcome to the Ignite Visibility University podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, really, really excited to have you here. Just a, an amazing background. I was wondering if you could start and just tell us a little bit about your current role and what you're up to today. Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm the Global Director of Marketing, um, specifically at Qualcomm, uh, responsible for digital marketing. So uh, digital uh, obviously has become more and more pervasive over the last decade. Um, but the way we think about it here. Um, is around the channels, the digital channels. Uh, so things like social media, our website, our podcast, um, search. Uh, so various ways in which we consume digital content and marketing messages. Um, that portfolio sits within my team and I um, look after um, those aspects of digital as well as just the integration of the, uh, all of those pieces together and how they help, really help folks move ideally from kind of top of the funnel or entry point of awareness around Qualcomm uh, further down into sort of understanding education, favorability, and then um, eventually some sort of purchase intent. That sounds like a complicated task to me, thinking about it from the channel level, uh, dropping down into each individual kind of business segment, um, KPIs around every initiative, um, how, how do you manage that? What, what goes into kind of all that planning to, to make that happen? Is it, is it uh, a long, tedious process? Um, what, what's, what's, what's kind of that workflow look like? Well, one of the things I've done for a few years now, and I, I brought this practice from my days at Microsoft, is we developed an annual playbook. So a digital marketing playbook that would encompass, you know, both best practices and latest trends on those different aspects I just mentioned. Um, because we know that, you know, certainly every 12 months, if not even faster, things are changing rapidly um, within the digital landscape. So, so part of the job, honestly, is just staying up to date, which is hard to do, <laughs> um, especially when you have a day job of actually, um, you know, managing and, and collaborating with others on the, the campaigns and programs that are currently in play. Um, and then educating within the organization, whether that's um, with uh, my peers uh, my team, or even up to our executives, some of the changes and the um, really the evolution of digital. Um, so that playbook really helps kind of codify how we're thinking about those channels, how they work together, like I mentioned, to ideally move folks through the funnel as far as we can get them to. Now, Qualcomm being very much a B2B brand, and I, um, a, a subtopic, I often struggle a bit with the terminology of B2B, B2C, because I I fundamentally think we're all people. And even if it's B2B, it's still, you're still talking to a human that has um, feelings and emotions and drivers uh, beyond just numbers. So 
I struggle a bit with that terminology, but just to use that since it's so well known, um, you know, Qualcomm isn't always in a position where we're actually, you know, selling something to a consumer. In most cases, we're not. So um, that funnel can get a, a little more complex toward the back half of it because um, we can't always attribute marketing um, activities to purchase directly. Um, but anyway, the playbook kind of helps to organize that thinking. We also talk about atomization. So the idea of creating a core piece of content, say that's a three minute video, and then really atomizing or splitting it into lots of different pieces so that it's customized and um, relevant to all the different places that digital shows up. So that's one way that we help kind of get, a, um, get ourselves in order for the year uh, before all the campaign and program work kicks off for the lines of business. That's really interesting. Yeah, thanks for going through that with us. So Ignite Visibility University, you heard it from the global, you know, head of marketing at Qualcomm. That's how they do it, a, you know, a playbook. You know, they've got um, basically everything broken down and everybody's on the same page. And um, that's how they go about doing it. Really interesting stuff. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit. You know, when I look at your resume, you've got the MBA, you've worked at Nestle, Adidas, Microsoft, now Qualcomm. You know, how, what did that evolution look like to you in your career and, and kind of how did you get to where you are today? Just, just walk us through your career history. I know our listeners would love to hear about that. Sure, happy to. So my undergraduate degree is from a small liberal arts college called Linfield in Oregon, which is where I'm from, from Portland. Um, and that was a degree in psychology. I initially thought I wanted to be a counselor. I actually spent a year in grad school in a counseling, master's of counseling program. I did a, a number of internships and job shadowing and research um, and, and realized that probably wasn't the right route for me. Um, really a, a very important uh, career for sure, but just not quite the right fit. Um, and, and so actually the last semester of my undergraduate, I took a social psychology class and that had always sort of piqued my interest because it was the first time I really explored or began to explore advertising um, and the notion of um, sort of the psychology and the, you know, the, the human behavioral element of marketing. And so that kind of stuck with me. And so even um, after that time I spent researching a counseling route, um, I ended up returning to that world of marketing, advertising, PR, and um, worked for about five, five years um, for some small boutique agencies in Portland, which um, was great, a, a great first chapter, frankly. I was in my early 20s. Um, I, I learned just a lot of the fundamental things that you need to learn when you're first entering the business world. Um, you know, how to present to a client, you know, how to write a creative brief, um, just how project management, you know, a lot of those things that really carry into lots of different jobs. Um, but I, as I got to be closer to our clients, I recognized that I kind of wanted to be on the other side of the table. Um, the agency side was fun and creative and very young, progressive uh, atmosphere. But I, I was really interested in a bit more of the business, and I wanted to do more than sort of just the communications aspect um, of the business. And so uh, I felt like an MBA would be a really good next step. Um, I always wanted to get my master's degree. It was kind of a personal goal, but I also felt like having an undergrad in uh, more of a liberal arts background, that MBA would give me some of that business acumen I might have not had uh, at Linfield um, just due to my, my coursework. Um, so accounting, finance, um, uh, um, you know, in investment strategy, a lot of those things. So I did that, went full-time, got my MBA at Pepperdine um, in Southern California. And, um, and that last, you know, 
semester or so of my MBA. Again, did a lot of informational interviews, had done a couple of internships, one of which was at 20th Century Fox, you know, for a while explored marketing in the entertainment industry. Um, another one for a, a consulting company, explored that. But just talked to a lot of people who are working in marketing. Um, and, and again and again, what I heard was, um, you need to get CPG experience, consumer packaged goods. You know, that Procter & Gamble effectively invented the term brand management. Um, they, you know, that's where you're really going to get the experience and the knowledge that will help you um, with the rest of your career and, and just kind of open doors and, again, give you um, further grounding in um, brand marketing. So I sort of set my sights on a CPG, which is not an easy task in Southern California, or frankly, anywhere on the West Coast, because most of them are, are based in the Midwest or, um, or you know, in, in the Northeast. Um, but Nestle was headquartered uh, in Glendale, a suburb of LA. And um, I had a friend of a friend of a friend, um, which I will say that is probably the pattern in my career is um, as much as networking kind of is a dirty word for a lot of people. And I know, I know that feeling, you know, relationships are so paramount. I mean, of course, you have to have some fundamental skill set there. Um, but um, having a connection was was really helpful um, uh, in many of my positions. So, so kind of entered Nestle through um, a, a very uh, kind of third degree connection and was able to get my foot in the door, which again was a rarity because frankly, Nestle recruits only from a handful of MBA programs. Uh, Pepperdine wasn't one, unfortunately. So I was, I was an anomaly. <laughs> um, and, you know, that first job out of business school was, it, it was, it was definitely rigorous. It was a challenge, especially coming from the agency side, which again was more focused on, call it the, the fourth P, if you will, of the four, the four P's of marketing. So the promotions P, um, that was really where my experience was. Um, so at Nestle, you know, that was obviously a piece of my job, but really it was kind of like being a general manager or even a mini CEO of your particular business. So I managed a profit and loss statement, a PNL. I had to deal with um, supply chain. Um, I had to go to Walmart and Target and actually sell things in to the buyers. Um, so there's a lot of aspects that, um, that I had never really touched before that I had to learn in that job. Really, really good training, again, uh, really stretched my brain and made me, um, you know, have to think in a much more analytical um, way than I had in the past, which was really a nice, kind of a nice rounding out of the creative background I'd had on the agency side. Thanks so much for walking us through that. That's really interesting. I actually, um, I was literature and then I got out of school and I realized that I really needed some more business skills. So I, I went and got my MBA. That was really, really helpful for me. I actually, Ignite Visibility listeners, I encourage everybody, business experience in marketing, you know, financial experience, you know, P&Ls, cash flow, understanding all those things is really, really important. And uh, that's interesting. You worked with Fox. I worked with them for, for quite a few years and, um, and they were really, really fun to work with. Um, one of the things that I noticed that I thought was kind of interesting is you've got all this great, you know, kind of business acumen. And, you know, you, you had that amazing experience at Nestle where it's almost like you're managing a business unit, which is uh, just amazing experience. But what happened, it looks like, is you got 
pretty involved in, in social media marketing. And is, is that kind of what became your main expertise o- over the last couple of years? Yeah, digital definitely became more and more at the forefront. And some of this was just lucky timing, right? So when I left uh, Nestle and went to Adidas, uh, which Adidas was my first job where I was full-time digital marketing. It was a small aspect of my job at Nestle. We had an, like mm-hmm. an, e, an e-newsletter program. But again, that was in um, 2007. So imagine, right? 2007 is the year that the first iPhone came out. It's the year that Facebook mm-hmm. effectively opened itself up beyond EDU addresses. So regular people outside of college students and then businesses later had access to Facebook. So yeah. 07, 08, I mean, that was just a chapter where um, social media and digital was beginning to really explode. And um, so the timing was just nice. And I could enter that job at Adidas as a digital marketing manager with a little bit of experience on the digital side. Um, but I was able to kind of learn and figure it out as we went. I mean, I launched our first Adidas Facebook page, and it was literally me and an intern um, just mm-hmm. experimenting because you know that was that was <laughs> the way way back. <laughs> so you didn't have to be an expert at that point. You could just sort of play and um, and sort of make mistakes, and not a lot of people were watching just yet. Um, so yeah, that that kind of serendipitous, honestly. Um, uh, at, at Adidas, social media was a piece of it for sure. Paid digital media became a big piece of it. I learned a lot about paid media, specifically digital paid media uh, on the job there. Uh, mobile marketing, which again, this is back when smartphone penetration was like 10 to 15% of the US. Most people still had um, flip phones. So mobile marketing was, <laughs> was pretty rudimentary. Um, but all of those things I got to do, the web, obviously website and e-commerce was really coming up at that point as well. So that was really the first job I had where that was my full-time responsibility. And then from there at Microsoft, um, it became even more focused, which was running social media for Windows. Um, And Mm -hmm. even though that's relatively specialized, everything at Microsoft is big. (laughs) So um, especially uh, Windows, which was kind of the mothership at that point um, in 2010. Mm -hmm. So I mean, there's 56 subsidiaries. within Microsoft. So there's offices in 56 countries that have marketing efforts, teams, budgets. So you can imagine just even the wrangling and or organizing and you know collaborating uh, with all of those different teams on just social media was a huge endeavor. And that was what I feel like I took away from Microsoft um, besides just getting to work alongside really, really smart, smart people. Um, and also entering the tech industry. That was, that was obviously my entree into the tech world. But the other thing that I got out of that was the first big leap into working internationally. Um, I'd had, again, some exposure to that um, at, at, at Adidas because Adidas is a German-based company. They're headquartered in Herzogenrock in southern Germany. Um, so there was clearly some European influence, but it was a little bit more on the product side and less so on the marketing side. Um, Microsoft, while a U.S.-based company, just is so gigantic and has just huge, huge efforts across the world. Um, that was really where I had to learn a lot about navigating different cultures, different communication styles, different time zones, <laughs> and just even how marketing um, and especially you know, the content piece of social media is, is digested and, and, and used differently in different cultures. 
really interesting. I was actually speaking to somebody at Microsoft last week about their gaming division. And this is, this is just, it's, it's so interesting to me about these bigger, bigger companies and, and Ignite Visibility listeners, you know, what goes into this process? Because imagine that you have a really, really big business and you have 56 different divisions. You know, at that point, you've got to determine what you're going to invest the most in, the least in, and then you need to structure a digital program around each individual one um, in order to hit the goals of the business. And there's just so much that, that goes into it. And, and, you know, so Jessica, one of the things that I was really, really interested in, um, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about was influencer marketing. One of the cool things that, that you've done, I believe, is you launched one of the first influencer marketing campaigns at Qualcomm. And in addition to that, you're really championing, championing leadership at the company to get more involved in social media, almost becoming influencers on their own. Could you talk to us just a little bit about that and what goes into something like that? Sure, happy to. So the inspiration I always attribute back to a guy that I worked with named John Wexler at Adidas. So this is again back in 2007-2008. And he was the first person that I knew who really began to talk about influencer marketing. And you can imagine Adidas, especially on the lifestyle side, which is where I work, the originals brand um, lends itself very, very nicely to influencer marketing. So this is you know, the originals, trefoil, kind of off the court, off the pitch, that stuff that you'd see, you know, run DMC wear back in the 80s, Gwen Stefani in the 90s, you know, Snoop Dogg, like it, it lends itself very easily to hip hop culture, street culture. Um, and so we were, we were just seeding products, right? We were just sending stuff to people, hoping they would wear it on the red carpet or at Lollapalooza or wherever they might show up. And, you know, taking clippings of them out of Us Weekly. So it was, again, relationship building and product seeding, pretty, pretty early stage stuff. But um, he, he was bullish on this. And I kind of watched. I was, again, I was the digital person, not the influencer person. But we sat in the same team. And I sort of watched him develop this program to be today what it is, which is a full-blown entertainment influencer marketing effort um, with partners like Kanye West. So, you know, big kudos to, to Wex. Um, and so I think I, that always kind of stayed in the back of my brain. And then fast forward to Qualcomm, I realized that, you know, hey, there's an opportunity here. It's 10 years later. Influencer marketing's kind of had a resurgence, and it's partly uh, due to things like Instagram, right? YouTube, um, these social properties that have become very mature and very sophisticated. And these are now, um, these are entrepreneurs where this is their full-time job. They're not, they're not celebrities necessarily like they once were who just happen to also be influential. They're actually creating a company around their expertise. Obviously, the vertical that we cared most about here is technology, specifically you know, mobile technology. And, and that expands quickly into things like smart homes, smart devices, wearables, um, the Internet of Things, 5G, all those topics that really spawn from mobile tech. So I just started to watch. I started to pay attention to who was talking about things on Reddit, um, on Twitter, YouTube. I started to follow them and just a handful, I mean, 10, 12, um, and began to build some relationship. And then we got on the phone and I began just to kind of build rapport and talk to them and learn about their business and you know their drivers and what was interesting to them how they worked with brands. And so it was very organic. Um, it was just something that I recognized, you know, we perhaps had a gap. We had obviously a very sophisticated public relations team who was doing great work with all of the traditional journalists um, as well as analysts in the tech space. 
um, on my side of the house, clearly, you know, social media um, was, was present and active, but this sort of um, hybrid, this kind of social media influencer who, again, wasn't a celebrity, um, wasn't a journalist working for, you know, the Wall Street Journal, they were an independent and they were creating visually led content, video-based content, Instagram-based content, talking about Snapdragon in many cases, which is our hero brand here. Um, so I thought there's, there's something, something. And so it really just grew into, hey, let's invite them to some events that we have and get them familiar with what we do as a company. Many of them knew us for Snapdragon, but that's all. They didn't know all the other places that Qualcomm played. They didn't know our long history in, in R&D, for example. Um, and so kind of just getting them to be part of our family, if you will, and just familiar, educate. And then we began to actually partner and commission certain types of content where they had an interest, we had an interest, there was a mutually beneficial kind of win-win. Um, and it kind of grew from there. I love that. And so when I'm thinking about influencer campaigns, one of the main things I kind of hear is like, you know, what, what's the return? Like, how are you proving the return? Uh, you being super business minded, you know, the MBA and all that, I, I know you think that way and you have to report that way to executives. Before I go on a tangent about like things you could do, I just wonder like when you did do it, how did you kind of prove value and what tips would you have for listeners? Yeah, so this gets into the notion of attribution modeling, which frankly, we don't do enough of that uh, here. And I think a lot of companies struggle with this. You know, it's very, um, it's very common and it's very logical when there's a big initiative, whether it's a product launch or, um, or an event or whatever is important to your company, that you're going to come out with a full 360 campaign, right? You're going to have maybe some traditional media, if that's part of your budget, whether that's print, broadcast, out of home, whatever probably a lot of different forms of digital media, like we talked about, whether that's, you know, search, social, influencer, um, email marketing, all kinds of options there. And so then how do you actually attribute the dollars you're spending across all those different verticals um, back to sales, right? Back to revenue growth. Um, it, it's hard. It's very hard. And especially it's hard when it comes to brands like ours that are B2B, because again, you can't go buy a box of Qualcomm on the shelf at Target. Um, we sell to what's called OEMs, um, so basically the device manufacturers, the Samsungs, the Apples, um, and even beyond that, we get in other spaces like VR and we have other partners, uh, automotive. So we sell to the manufacturers of the brands that you would recognize, right? Audi, Oculus, et cetera. And then obviously they sell to the consumer. So there's a, a layer in between us and the end user, which makes the attribution modeling even more difficult. So to be honest, it's not, I'm not able to take the work that we do with, say, an influencer and go, okay, that, you know, that X number of thousands of dollars we spent here gave us this number of sales. It's not that clean cut. Um, but I think that it's more of a portfolio approach. It's like, okay, we have our own properties, and there's a lot of good things that we can do there. Um, we have, again, sort of the journalist space, analyst space, which is a little bit of a, we can influence what they do, but ultimately they're their own people. Um, and then we kind of have this influencer, again, who's kind of in the middle, kind of a hybrid. And so we know there's an opportunity there. We know that there's a ton of credibility that comes from these people, and, and specifically the ones that we work with who I would categorize as micro-influencers, meaning they focus on a certain vertical. Again, for us, that's mobile technology. Um, I think that's a lot different than the, the broad spanning, again, more kind of lifestyle entertainment influencers where 
Um, they're not as deep on a certain category. Um, I think there might be a bit more skepticism, frankly, uh, from, from audiences about how um, credible some of their messages are. Um, but I, I, I feel like the micro-influencer space is different. I feel like there's a lot of credibility, there's a lot of trust. Um, their audience is their business. And so they care a lot about being, um, having integrity. And so um, I think we just know that that's something that needs to be part of the mix. But we haven't, we certainly haven't gotten to the specificity of did this video yeah. drive X sales? And I don't think that you need to, to get to that level. So I, I wrote a book, it's called Digital Influencer about influencer marketing. I have another one coming out. It's called The Forecaster Method, which is all about tracking and attribution modeling and stuff like that. But when I think about influencer marketing, I think a lot about just brand equity. So aligning yourself, you know, with a brand, you know, KPIs can be around um, their reach, right? And, and the audience that they have and impressions. It doesn't necessarily need to be like audience size click-through rate, conversion rate, cost per conversion, revenue per conversion um, in that case. I, at least that's, that's kind of how I, I feel about it. I feel like, you know, with any marketing budget, there should be some allocation for performance-based marketing and then some allocation for like brand building. Um, not that Qualcomm necessarily needs to build a brand on a micro-influencer level, but a macro and just, just aligning yourself with, with tech enthusiasts. I mean, there, that, that is definitely something that I personally feel always needs to remain part of, of any marketing mix. And I feel like you, you feel the same way on some level. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I think you said it really well. And it goes back to this discussion we had earlier about the marketing funnel. And again, we all know now the marketing funnel is not linear like we once used to describe it, but there is still a funnel. It just might mean that people are in and out kind of at different stages. Um, so, you know, the way that you described it, I think is spot on. There's the top of the funnel and there's the middle of the funnel and there's the bottom of the funnel. And the top of the funnel is that awareness, favorability, you know, that kind of just generating interest in a brand or a product. And I think that's largely where the influencers play. Um, I think then there is definitely other digital channels and approaches that are more appropriate for more bottom of the funnel, more conversions. Um, and so I, 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 in most cases, yep. don't worry too much about having to connect the influencer down to that bottom funnel metric because I think that's just not the, the the best role for them to play. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you could have affiliate tracking code on there and all that, but at some point, certain things, you know, need to be, uh, you know, just, just value brand equity. Um, you know, Ignite Visibility listeners, um, Jessica just said something that's really, really interesting. How people are coming in and out of the funnel right now. That's a huge, huge change in marketing. I was at Traffic and Conversion Summit, and that was kind of one of the main themes. So before it was kind of top to bottom. Now people are jumping in and out. And uh, in some cases, they're even jumping into podcasts. Uh, and that's kind of a tangent into one of the other things I wanted to talk to, to Jessica about. So we're on a podcast now, and I know people are going to absolutely love this. I mean, they're growing. People like the passive listening. Um, it's the fastest growing medium right now. And Jessica is a, a bit of a, a podcast expert. I actually think that I saw Jay Bear might have been on your podcast, who's somebody that I know really, really well. Um, I'm just interested. Tell me about your journey into podcasting. When did you start? What are you doing now? And what, what's that looking like nowadays? Thanks for asking about that. I am a huge podcast listener and that's kind of how it started. Um, I began listening to podcasts a couple years ago 
And um, I, it's funny, everyone, it's always funny to ask people, so when, you know, when do you listen to podcasts? And everyone has different stories, oh, my commute, or, um, uh, you know, for me, it's when I'm getting ready in the morning, frankly, because I don't, I actually, unfortunately, I don't have a, a very long commute. So that doesn't really help, but I, I spend, you know, half an hour in the bathroom, you know, getting ready. And so might as well have something on the counter that I can learn from or laugh at or be entertained by. So podcasting as just a listener came a couple years ago, kind of as this, you know, way to pass time. Um, and again, also just to learn. I feel like there's so much that you can learn now, whether it's um, in, you know, the, the financial space and investment strategy, real estate, there's obviously like, you know, kind of motivational, more personal development. There's, you know, health and wellness, there's parenting. And yeah, there's so many categories where uh, you could just absorb this great information that frankly, I would never have the time to read all those articles or, or take those classes. So I was definitely a listener first. And then, you know, Qualcomm and, and not, and not to my credit, it happened um, before it was part of my team. Qualcomm launched a podcast a couple of years ago as well. I believe it was April of 17. And um, we've, we've launched almost 40 episodes where we've interviewed various product managers and engineering leadership here in the company to really talk about kind of how our products are built and, you know, what our point of view is and some of these launches that, um, that we care about. And that actually is something I'm so proud of our larger team for having the foresight to do that because there aren't a lot of companies that have podcasts yet. Um, and I, you know, you, you mentioned earlier the sort of the executive or the leader uh, aspect of social media podcasting falls into that same category where I feel like, um, the humanization and sort of the softening of a brand is so vital. And I think um, having executives active on social media is one way to build that trust. Um, podcasting, I think, is another way because it is literally, as we're experiencing right now, it is, it is someone's voice in your head. And so you almost can't get much more personal than, than that, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so, and then, and people are listening on average for 25, 30 minutes, which is a really long time in any, by any marketing metric that attention is, is paramount. And that's a huge amount of time. So, so that, the, that got me interested in, in sort of, okay, what, what could, what should I be doing as just a person in marketing? You know, should I be, we used to say at Microsoft eating my own dog food, you know, should I be trying to experiment with this? medium on my own to see, can I do it, you know, and how hard is it? And, you know, what does it mean to build a podcast editorial calendar? What does it mean to, 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 um, to find the right guests and craft a, a, an interesting interview? And so my, my old um, friend from business school from Pepperdine, Tuck Ross, he, he had very similar feelings and kind of suggested, why don't we try this? Let's co-host. Let's you know, all, he, he's good with the production and editing side. I'm, I'm a good writer and editor. And so it was kind of a nice marriage um, of skill sets. So we thought, let's just do it and see, you know, how long we can go and what happens and who we meet along the way. Jay, Jay Bear was one of the people that we did meet. And I was um, fortunate to get to be a guest on his podcast, um, Social Pros. So yeah, we've been up to, up to uh, about 35 episodes or so about a year of doing it. And um, it's fun. It's, it's just good to kind of push yourself, I think, once in a while. So which is, uh, what's the name of the one that you're hosting, just so everybody knows and they can check it out? Yeah, thank you for asking. So my, my personal podcast that I do with Tuck is called Social Currency. And you can find it on cool. all the podcasting platforms that you would normally um, listen on. 
Awesome. Yeah. And you had, you brought up one other thing, like as, as you were chatting, I'm really interested in. So I, I uh, find that people who are kind of successful in business long-term, they spend a lot of time on personal development and you just, you breezed over that a little bit, but I, I've personally done that a lot, you know, just trying to become a better person. You know, we're just, we're all, we're all people and, and having a good mindset. And I just wonder in your position and with the podcast you're listening to and stuff like that, is that something that, that you focus on a bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I am, um, like the term is Kaizen, this notion of constant improvement. I feel like that mm -hmm. is, it never ends. There's always more that I'm curious about. There's always more that I want to learn. Um, I mean, I could listen to Ted talks like <laughs> all day. If, yeah. I, if I could, I, I'm fascinated by just acquiring new knowledge and, and maybe things that are even beyond my day-to-day -day marketing world, but then often will kind of come back in and in mysterious ways and sort of influence my thinking um, in ways I don't expect. Um, so yeah, I love, love podcasting as a medium to learn new things. Absolutely. And everybody listening to this, I just think that's so important. This personal development, this, this kind of thirst for knowledge, this growth. Um, if you look at all the things that we kind of talked about today, you know, Jessica has been, you know, very deliberate about kind of where she wanted to go and, and kind of making things happen. And I just think that that's such a good lesson just for everybody out there who wants to kind of aspire to do things in life. And um, I, I just wanted to call that out. So um, last question I had for you today, what are you most excited about in your life? right now with Qualcomm outside what, what what's exciting going on for you and um, where can people find out more about you yeah um, you know one of the things that we're just embarking on from a Qualcomm perspective is the this next generation of connectivity and really mobile technology which we reference as 5g and I'm sure everyone's been hearing a lot about 5g but probably unsure what that really means to me personally and it's still very, very early days. It's just beginning to deploy this year. Um, Qualcomm is really at the center of 5G. We, we really are at the core of creating and inventing and you know, launching that technology into the world. And um, it's hard to kind of go back in time, you know, almost a decade when we saw 4G and then even a decade before that with 3G. But you, know, you think about the, the things that exist today because of 4G, the fourth generation, um, of mobile technology, things, you know, Airbnb, Uber and Lyft, you know, the podcasting is a great example, like the ability to have the bandwidth to, to be able to quickly stream or download content that before would have taken, you know, 20 minutes. So I'm excited to see what 5G is going to bring. I think we have no idea. I, I feel like most, for most folks, it's a belief that it just means that my phone works faster. And obviously, you know, latency going away and, and faster speeds is one aspect of 5G. That's great. But I think there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff in the tech industry over the next five or six years that comes out of the 5G um, platform that we just can't imagine. So I'm, I'm excited to be in the tech industry. I, I, I love this industry. I love this space. And I also love that um, there's so many cool technologies, companies, you know, cultural changes that are actually being spawned out of um, mobile and, and what's capable from mobile technology. So that's cool. That, that's fun to, to be in that space. Um, and yeah, and if you want to find me online, um, my Twitter, Instagram, 
uh, LinkedIn handles are Jessica K. Jensen. Um, and love to chat with you more uh, um, online. Awesome. Really exciting stuff there, everybody. I, I, I truly believe this, like it in my heart, that this is like the most exciting time to be alive. I mean, in technology, the way that things are evolving, Jessica has, um, you know, the, the amazing opportunity to be at the center of it. Um, over a decade ago, I was able to meet um, the CEO of Qualcomm. I've seen that company just evolve and become, um, you know, what it is today and, and the future is bright. Jessica, this was an amazing interview. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know our our listeners are really going to appreciate it. Have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you.